Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 226 for Monday, January 2nd, 2023. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is my friend Johnny, who the internet knows better as Pixarifs. Hello, sir. Hello, and Happy New Year to all our Spawn Chunks listeners. Um, if you wanted to hear what we've been up to over Christmas and New Year, we've been talking about travel plans and uh, generous gifts from friends and family. That's all in the render distance, which you can get from patreon.com slash the Spawn Chunks. It is the first episode of the new year. We are delighted to go into 2023 with the support of our patrons, and January's monthly hangout is going to have a lot to cover, uh, almost as much as we covered in the render distance, because we've been talking for a little while here, just catching up but we didn't have time to squeeze a patron hangout into December because we had a lot going on towards the end of the month over the holiday break and hopefully people got time to play a little bit more Minecraft over their holidays so we're looking forward towards the end of the month catching up with all of our patrons in the January monthly hangout. We also have the uh, patron uh, quarterly hangout coming in at the end of, uh, or somewhere in in January, I'm not sure when yet, but uh, that'll cover the fourth quarter uh, as far as podcasting business and downloads and stuff uh in 2022 but also our january uh, quarterly review tends to cover like a look at 2022 as a whole or the year previous as a whole so that'll be some fun numbers so if you're interested in, in the business of podcasting and you're a patron then look for that uh we'll have uh, some announcements in the discord as to when that's going to be reported so we talk about our patrons having plenty of time to play minecraft over the holidays how about you joel how much minecraft did you get in over the last couple of weeks so for all the talk of me saying extra streams, look for that over the holidays, I did one uh, and it was on New Year's Eve and it was not Minecraft. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. Off to a good start then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I just, there was some bad weather that threw off a lot of my cooking uh, because I was worried about power outages when I did my traditional Christmas pudding that you have to boil for three or four hours. I did not want the power to go out in the middle of that. Sure. So that, yeah. me- that meant rescheduling that and the prep for that to the week between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, and so I ended up, uh, between an extended Christmas going over three days, which is fine because everybody was visiting different in-laws and stuff. We kind of spread it out. Uh, it just meant that I really only had a couple of days where I didn't have anything scheduled and I just, I took them for myself and that's fine. You know, like I, I, you know, didn't say exactly when I might stream. I was just hoping to get more in, but I did a Lego stream. I, I'm still building the, uh, Lego time machine from the back to the future film, the DeLorean. And so that was a lot of fun on, on New Year's Eve. And it was cool to touch base with with the regulars in the stream and, and stuff like that and wish everyone a happy New Year. Um, but what I have been thinking about, and I'm actually, I'm glad I took the break because I'm now excited to kind of get back in and get my, you know, hands dirty in, in West Hill again. And so that's what I'm planning on doing this week is getting back into a more regular streaming schedule. And the last we were there, I had finished off the Riverside build with like the garden in between the two buildings and stuff like that. But there is a large stone Riverside build that was just framed, uh, just cobblestone box with like loose ideas inside of it. So I have something to go to. It's nice to like not be staring at a riverbank going like, what am I going to do here? I've actually got a, a rough plan there. So I can just kind of go in and start filling in the gaps, start shooting from the hip. Something I feel like I've been better at in the last six to eight months on the on west hill is just like going into a stream with a rough idea and just being able to like use all of the things that i've built up the tools that i've learned over the last couple of years building west hill and just be able to build something good looking that i didn't have to like plan out in great detail beforehand and that's that's always a lot of fun um and then the the only other building that i can think of that would be next after that is um currently where i have all of my shulker boxes like you know you always have that one area that one build that's last because that's where you keep like 
all of your Minecraft functional stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I've got to clean that out. Originally, I think it, the plan was it to be like a tannery and a, or a leather working shop. I think I'm going to focus more on like the leather working and see if I can't fit the tannery somewhere else because a tannery would be, if I'm not mistaken, would be kind of like smelly and maybe not the thing that you would have in the fanciest part of town. Yeah, sure. Definitely. Whereas like, but the person that crafts the leather into garments would probably be in the fancy part of town. So, so that's what I'm going to try and do there. Um, but then I'm just like, well, that's great. But then where do I put all the shelker boxes that are in it? You know, so mm -hmm. I've got to figure out my, my traveling caravan of shelter boxes has grown exponentially and I need to figure out where that's going. But it's going to be fun. It's I think those are it's nice to have like a couple of things going into the new year, just projects that I know I'm excited to to work on. Yeah, that'd be kind of a cool build, actually, having like a traveling cart, like a covered wagon sort of thing, just laden with shulker boxes leaving town <laughs> and be like <laughs> a, a, a neat way to show like I am exiting this project now with all of my stuff or, or whatever, even if it's, uh, you know, the kind of stuff that you're going to take away half of the decorations from at the end of the day. And yeah, I feel like sure. if, if you want like a stitched canvas kind of look, then you couldn't you could you could do worse than shulker boxes, I think. Yeah, I think I mean, depending on the color of them, some of them are kind of bright, but you could you could probably get a couple that would look that would look like medieval type boxes, especially if you had anything that you could put on the side of them, you know, like glow lichen or uh, an item frame. Yeah, make them look more like crates kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, maybe with maybe an item, not with something in the item frame. Um, but and I, I also have I don't know if we actually have these, but the wandering trader has um we've got the data pack that has like the the mini blocks so you can trade with the wandering trader for mini versions of all the blocks in minecraft i've not seen a shulker box i don't think but if i could find one then it would really sell it if you had like a full-size shulker box and then like a mini shulker box then it would really look like oh these are boxes like these are intended crates because i find anytime you can do that it really kind of helps helps sell it mm-hmm so what uh, what have you been up to? Did you get a chance to play any Minecraft over the holidays? I have been staying away from Minecraft, kind of um, out of not necessity, but like I, I've chosen to step away from Minecraft and give myself a bit of a break. Uh, I don't really take Minecraft with me when I travel, so it was kind of nice to do something a little different. I've been playing a lot of Pokemon on the Switch, um, but then back on Empire's SMP now because the um, collab with Hermitcraft ended. The last recording was just before Christmas, hence why I was being kind of cagey about my recent activity on the last couple of episodes. Um, yeah, we, um, we we kind of left Hermitcraft. It was this sort of big emotional goodbye kind of thing. And so now I'm reorienting myself around the next projects that are coming up there, seeing what everyone else wants to do with their storylines, seeing if I can help out with a couple of builds here and there. But a lot of it is also going to be building up my own area. I want to do a bit more castle planning. But that's all kind of you know, ideas in my head right now. I've not really had time to commit anything to paper or put it in game as yet. Uh, the stuff I have been doing since I've been back is largely concerned with putting together a formal tutorial video, probably a creative mode tutorial for my copper aging machine, because I've done survival guide episodes about it and I've done a couple of episodes about it on empires, but I really want to do a version that just boils it down to everything you need to know from start to finish in a flat world, the kind of thing that's not going to have me waffling about extra stuff and set dressing and everything else. So I've been working on a bit of that, and I decided to try out what it looks like if you stack the modules vertically as well. So I did a bit of that this morning, and it's like almost horrifying how much redstone you could put into this project if you wanted to but the 
modules flat on the ground, the biggest area you can fit them in is the radius that random ticks will happen around the player, which is 128 block radius, so 256 diameter. That's divided up into chunks, so you really have to work within the chunks that will be loaded, and obviously it's a circular radius, so you have to be a little bit aware of where you're placing some of the machines so that the copper will still age and the redstone components will still tick and everything. But I can fit 42 of these modules into one layer, and then you can stack them vertically. So I figured out if you make this thing about 150 blocks high, you can fit 18 layers of this copper aging module in there, and it will age about 13,600 blocks of copper at a time, or something like wow. that. Uh, so that that's the kind of maximalist approach to this. That's sort of the, the place I want to be at the end of it. And I think at this scale, it really needs to have a more automatic process of loading and unloading, maybe blast chamber TNT kind of stuff we'll, we'll have to see. But in the meantime, I've just been putting together the basics of what the machine needs in order to function and individual schematics for the modules so that people can scale it up or scale it back however they want to and all of that's going to be released with the video so that's my big minecraft project so naturally i've wanted to take a bit of time away from that <laughs> because it's starting to melt my brain a little bit so i've been digging into one of minecraft's original influences uh back at the beginning of december a game called dwarf fortress was released on steam and it's been around for a while. I think it was originally developed in 2002, or at least that's when the, the first playable version of it was released. And classic Dwarf Fortress looks like um, a nightmare <laughs> I mean, to, to, to somebody like me who isn't used to looking at it because the graphics were obviously at a much more basic state in 2002, and it was all done using ASCII characters. So it's basically a series of colored characters from, you know backslashes and at symbols and little smiley faces and all kinds of stuff um, and different letters symbolizing all of the different things in what is effectively a top-down colony simulator and world generator so it's kind of like if anyone's played RimWorld or any of those kind of things or maybe even factorio oh, okay. might have a couple of things mm -hmm. to me it reminds me of roller coaster tycoon because once you've generated this world and you've got you know, a few dwarves that pop up at the beginning, they've all got individual requirements for what's going to make them happy, and you've got to make sure they have accommodation and things to entertain themselves and places to mine and that kind of stuff. And so you're acquiring resources in a similar way to how you are in Minecraft, but you're also kind of doing a bit of that civilization style, like make sure you keep your population happy, otherwise they're going to riot and start attacking each other and that kind of stuff. So there's there's a lot going on. Um, luckily, the Steam re-release has what it calls premium graphics, which is to say it has any kind of sprites whatsoever. And I think it's a good thing that maybe like people's computers are a little bit better than they were in 2002, so that the complexity of this game can be supported by the set of sprites that it has, because it looks wild once you get all of this stuff together. And it's very basic, almost Terraria-style sprites, very little animation to speak of. It's really just, you know, static pictures moving around on the screen. But the amount of stuff that it's doing almost puts Minecraft to shame in terms of the levels of complexity of what it's simulating. Like, it, oh, will, it, wow. it will generate an entire kind of world map for you to begin with, and 
the world map is alive like it's processing events and stuff that happen in the background so while your little dwarf civilization is building up and prospering there are other civilizations that have been around for potentially a hundred years waging war on each other in other parts of the world and occasionally merchants will come through and say hey you want to you want to worry about people coming from the north <laughs> because like there's there's people coming from the north i don't know when they get here but they're going to come and then they'll come in and sell you stuff and trade you things and you're trying to make crafts out of all of the stone that you've been mining so that you can participate in the economy and that there's just so many layers to it and quite literally because you can just dig downwards to find more materials which is kind of similar to terraria where you just try and dig further and further down and there are certain things that stop you certain creatures that you find and that kind of thing I've only scratched the surface of this game. I've played it for maybe eight hours total. I did three on stream and then played a little bit more last night and this morning. And it's just mind-blowing, the amount of stuff that's in there. It helps me appreciate the differences between the two because Minecraft is a complex and deep game, but is presented to the player in a very minimalist, straightforward, tactile, easy-to-understand way. Whereas Dwarf Fortress really throws you in at the deep end even with the tutorials it's got. But uh, for people who are interested in seeing where Minecraft really came from, like some of the ideas that were the genesis of Minecraft as a project, I highly recommend checking out Dwarf Fortress. It might be a little overwhelming to you, especially at first, but it's kind of worth a look just to see where Minecraft's influences really came from. Man, I, I, it reminds me of Oxygen Not Included. Yeah, in a little, mm -hmm. in a little, in a way, because it because it looks very vertical. So when you say dig down, do you mean like dig down in like the Z axis, like kind of like through your monitor, not like down yes, vertically yeah. towards your keyboard, right? Yeah, you're you're so using you, yeah. the scroll wheel to navigate between layers, and oh, you, okay. you build you build a staircase that takes you down through the the top soil those. to this yep. stone layer, and then you kind of keep going and going and going. So I've now got to the point where it starts you out at an elevation of like forty four. Imagine it's like Y forty four in Minecraft mm -hmm. is like C. Mm -hmm level and i'm now down below zero uh just trying to dig down to see what happens and so far nothing has happened which is kind of scary because i imagine there's a lot that can happen depending on the location you're in and, yeah. and different stuff but I, I i tried scrolling to see how far it would go and the number just kept going up and up and up and wouldn't really find any kind of limit to it so i am slightly worried that this is like another truly infinite game that i'm starting to get interested in now <laughs> um but a, a yeah. lot a lot of the the events and the names of your dwarves and stuff like that are all procedurally generated as well so you start to see where minecraft gets some of that idea from um but they've all got little personality quirks and things like that that are just so funny it's good for emergent gameplay it's good for storytelling and one of the reasons i really wanted to look at this was as a way of generating story details for maybe a series like empires where we want to have some stuff that's going on in the world's history but none of it has to necessarily have any relevance to what we're doing in the here and now and so when you generate a world it will take you through a series of events where it says, you know, the druid elf of this kingdom decided to name himself the first honorary land shark. And that's just something that happened in the world's history. And sometimes you can go and find artifacts that relate to that because it saves those terms to like a folder somewhere and it goes, okay, 
if we want to reference that in future, then you can find the Kingdom of Landshark at some point and it will like show you where that is and maybe there'll be some artifacts you can salvage and stuff like that. So it is connected. It's not all just throwing random words out there and glossing over all of that. But it, it generates them in a way that it just combines two words from a list. And so I am currently the king of the hamlet of crowd raisers. <laughs> and it just goes a bit nuts from there. It's wow. it's a lot of fun. It's it's very, very deep. I could probably talk about it for the length of an entire podcast. But I think in terms of its relationship to Minecraft, you can really see how they're two peas in a pod. These infinite games that involve crafting and gathering materials and where Minecraft is very much about your personal effort, Dwarf Fortress is about your effort as a civilization. So there's a really interesting mm. like dichotomy between the two. That's really cool. And I mean, hopefully you don't delve too greedily and too deep. That was my thinking, yes. I haven't yet yeah. encountered anything hostile in the game, but occasionally your fortress will get attacked by stuff, like you might get raided by things. Hasn't happened to me in the first two in-game years. Um, but it's probably happening sooner or later. And apparently if you dig down, there are going to be some creatures in the cave that you'll need to fend off with a, a pickaxe or a sword or whatever. So wow. yeah, I think my next stage is probably going to be to arm up in case that happens. So one of the reasons I've stayed away from games like RimWorld and Factorio is usually because the graphics are a little bit kind of ho-hum for me, or they mm -hmm. just everything is just so tiny. I just feel like I'm going to be squinting at the screen. And I was looking at some of the screenshots that you're sharing, and I'll have, we'll have some of these in our show notes, and I'll have linked to the game on Steam and stuff like that as well. But uh, I thought, wow, this looks like fairly simple. But when I blew up the picture full screen here, it is the art is really. I mean, it's still pixel graphics, but it's high res pixel graphics. Like yeah. it feels it feels more like. It feels more like Super Nintendo as opposed to like Nintendo. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I want to say even maybe higher resolution than Stardew Valley, but I'm not a Stardew Valley um, savant. You are. So would you say the graphics are on par with Stardew or like even a little bit nicer? I think they're probably on par. They take a different direction in terms of the art style. So it's maybe mm -hmm. a little a little difficult to tell. But yeah, I, you can zoom in a little further than the screenshots I've provided as well. So you can see things at a slightly closer detail. I just wanted to give you a zoomed out screenshot so that of you can see yeah. the scale of what I was building. And so that's part of the problem really is like building stuff that stays on the screen or dealing with the fact that you have to zoom out very often to, to see what's going on. But yeah, like I think there are other games that take a different direction that like stardew i think is only more sophisticated in the sense that it has animations for a lot of your characters whereas it with this because there's so much going on they just can't afford to spend any time on stuff like that right um but yeah i i think it, it's it's a very detailed game and very charming i think the art style ultimately wins you over by how charming it is and it has that old school Sim City kind of approach to things where you're just kind of dropping stuff off and you don't worry too much about the aesthetics of it. It's much more about infrastructure. Can you get around? Is it possible for the dwarves to minimize the amount of travel time between them picking stone up from the store and then going back to their crafting station to turn it into a statue or a bed or a chair or whatever they happen to be making at the time? So yeah, I'm still figuring out some of that stuff. And then the game's probably just going to chuck a horde of barbarians at me who are going to wipe out my fortress. Oh, the, no. The motto of the game, uh, as cooked up by the community, is apparently losing is fun uh, because there is really no win condition for the game. It's more or less like if you're lucky and careful enough and you, you've 
you know, got to grips with everything, eventually this will become basically like the stronghold of your civilization. But there is no like, congratulations, you did it screen at the end of that. It's an infinite game. You can play it forever. And so sooner or later, your civilization will fail. And so the idea is that you play however you want to, and you just have to accept defeat and move on to the next thing. And that's kind of an interesting philosophy, especially when you consider that most of the time in Minecraft, we're used to, oh, I've died and lost all my stuff. I'm scrambling to get that stuff back now. <laughs> in this case, it's much more about acceptance and that kind of like global view of everything, the holistic view of everything. And that's a, a really interesting philosophical angle for a game like this. So it's quite refreshing compared to Minecraft at this point. Zay Chris in our live chat has the same question that I do is so it, it playing it is like every time you play it's like a hardcore Minecraft world so like if you lose does that mean you have to start over from scratch like you're back to just a hole in the wall it's not going to delete your save um so I, I think you can if you really want to if you get really get attached to a fortress you can make backup saves and stuff like that uh, so okay. it, it's good. possible to rejoin your civilization at an earlier point in the timeline and maybe prepare for whatever disaster eventually befell right them. Right. But, turn left at Albuquerque instead of right. That's sure, right. yes. Yeah, I, I think in, in my brief experience of watching other people play this, people don't tend to do that. I think people, because it's so micromanagey and stuff, they like the return to the simple <laughs> that the, yeah. the beginning of the game mm -hmm. takes, and they immediately think, oh, I have that other design idea for my fortress that I figured I would do. It's kind of like starting a new build style in Minecraft and thinking, okay, this time around, new, fresh world, I'm going to build modern this time, and then just go from there. So, yeah, I, I, again, I'm still just dabbling my toes in the water at this point, and once I get heavily back into Minecraft, I doubt I will return to Dwarf Fortress all that often, but it's been a really fun experiment just to see the wheels turning in, in you know, the, the Minecraft developers' heads when they were cooking this thing up for the first time. It's nice also to find a game that you enjoy that's different than Minecraft, but you know your audience that loves Minecraft will also enjoy it. Like, yeah, like you're not you're not going to be swimming against the tide, so to speak. Yeah, uh, I I found that uh, sometimes I, I've hit walls like that where like I liked Stardew, not Stardew, um, Oxygen Not Included. And but like you saying, it's such a complicated game. And I know that I've learned a lot. When I think about playing it again, I don't think about returning to my save that I've put like 20, 40 hours into it. I want to start again and just try to be with the expansions and just try to like do a better, a better go at it so that you can avoid the headaches of like, you know, CO2 building up or whatever challenges the game throws you like radiation or something. And you can just kind of start from scratch because so I can see that appeal in terms of like the the losing is is the fun part of, of Dwarf Fortress. Um, but yeah, like when you find something like this that kind of scratches that that similar itch of like starting from nothing, building out. It's very um, boxy, I guess, mm -hmm. just like Minecraft, just because of the nature of pixel graphics and stuff. So, um, but it's it's cool that you've got so much creative control too. Like one of the things that I, I look at when I look at Stardew Valley and I kind of feel like it's a lot of it feels sort of prefab. Now this is not having played it, so correct me if I'm wrong, but this really feels like, like if you want to make your, you know, fortress in whatever shape you want, right? then yeah then you don't you're not like you're not in a town template you're not having to go to pre-fixed npcs like because yeah. of like you said the, the generative nature of it in a similar way to minecraft giving you new generated worlds it kind of gives you that um i don't want to say freedom but like maybe that's the right word 
Um, yeah, you, you don't you don't yeah. have a plot of a fixed size, or well, you do, yeah. but it's larger than you would ever need to use, or potentially right. have the the power to do. And yeah, I, I think it it's it's got that untapped kind of world potential that Minecraft has. And e- even in looking at the layouts and stuff for the the fortresses I'm designing here, I'm thinking, yeah, I could use this just as like a a blueprint for looking at a Minecraft world from the top down and imagining you know, the, the same kind of thing. You could even, if you wanted to, turn the floor plan of your fortress into something that you rebuild in Minecraft if you're really attached to both games. Oh, so that there's 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 a lot that you can you can do with that. You can almost use it as like a, a planning tool. You could use it as a planning tool for a Dungeons and Dragons campaign and just build something that turns into a dwarf civilization and be really intimately familiar with where everything is for when your players end up walking through it. So there's there's lots that can be done with it. And it's a very compelling game. It's more of a simulation than a game, but then simulations make pretty good games. Um, it, it'll scratch your satisfactory itch if you pick it up, but bear in mind the learning curve is quite steep. Um, it's got a mm-hmm. tutorial that will take you through the first stages of things, but then it's basically like, hey, click on the help menu and make sure you keep pausing the game every time you want to look something up, because otherwise things will just happen in the background and you kind of want to be aware of some of the stuff that's going on. But right. Definitely a, a, a difficult to learn and difficult to master, but pretty compelling experience overall. Cool. It sounds like something that you want to play at a slow learning pace. Yes, yes, yeah. which is why it felt silly doing this on stream, <laughs> because everybody <laughs> everybody in chat had such good advice, and I couldn't look at chat because the entire time I was spent, like, my eyes darting around the screen going, wait, where, where am I... Where am I building this furnace and where, where are these dwarves going right. to craft their next set of chairs? And it's, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. So maybe I'll return to it in future with slightly more experience under my belt and be playing on everybody else's level. Well, I can tell you where there is not a lot going on, and that is in the news feed from Minecraft. Uh, as one would expect over the holidays, there's not a lot to report this week in the news. Uh, hopefully next week we'll have a bit more game-related development stuff to talk about. Uh, I don't know when we'll start to see new snapshot. It all depends on on what is happening over at Mojang. But you noticed an announcement that piqued your interest. Yeah, um, it was a personal interest to me. Um, perhaps not quite newsread worthy. Um, but I was talking in the render distance about receiving a couple of vinyl records for, for Christmas. And the Minecraft Dungeons soundtrack is coming to vinyl. Uh, I, I'd known about this for a little while. Um, because I think I am 8-Bit, the people who are publishing and, and distributing it, had a pre-order go up a while ago. And I I, I, I keep track of these things because I sort of collect video game soundtracks on vinyl now, at least the ones that I'm interested in the soundtrack, uh, games that I've played and so forth. But um, yeah, the pre-order is now live, which, which is probably why they've announced it on Minecraft.net as well. Uh, it's not going to ship until the second quarter of 2023, so probably quite a long wait at this point, but that's usually the case with video game OSTs. The other thing I got right before Christmas was the Hyperlight Drifter soundtrack, and I've been waiting for that one to arrive for like 18 months. <laughs> so I'm I'm used to waiting for these kind of things, and the soundtrack apparently has a couple of remixes of Minecraft Dungeons music by a few electronic music artists and it's kind of a neat approach to doing a soundtrack where it'll be familiar music from the game, but also a few fun remixes and, and other takes on the music that you won't have heard before. I believe the Minecraft Dungeons soundtrack is already on Spotify, but if you're a vinyl collector or you're interested in this as a gift for somebody who is or whatever, then definitely worth checking out. 
Is there an official Minecraft um, soundtrack on vinyl? It depends what you mean by official, really, because I think this was part of the the issue we talked about ages ago when we were talking about the music of Minecraft. C418, the composer, uh, holds the rights to all of the music he composed for Minecraft at the time, and I don't think he, while he obviously, like, signed away the use of that to Microsoft when they bought Minecraft uh, um, back in, what was that, like, 2015, 2014, um... I think part of the reason he hasn't composed any new music for the game is because of rights issues and wanting to retain the rights so that he can distribute it himself. So he sells the Minecraft soundtrack as two separate vinyls, Minecraft Volume Alpha and Beta, and I've got both of them. Um, but they are basically his property as opposed to like an official Minecraft product. So you won't find it on the Minecraft.net store, um, and it's really his work that he's distributing. As far as the stuff that Lena Rain and Kumitanioka have composed, I don't think that's available on vinyl anywhere yet. Although a lot of Lena Rain's other soundtracks are available. Celeste is a great vinyl as well. There's a few other right. bits and pieces that are out there. So I'm hopeful that we'll get some of the Caves and Cliffs soundtrack and the Nether Update soundtrack on vinyl at some stage. But it may just be that they've only been composed like four or five tracks at a time. And to put together say, a, yeah. a proper like vinyl set is going to be potentially a few more tracks in the works. So... Maybe if the next update or the update after that gets a bit of extra music, we might see a vinyl release further down the line. It certainly doesn't seem like Minecraft would want to rule that out as an option because they're obviously looking into other merchandise and so forth. But yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to see if the success of the Minecraft Dungeons soundtrack is anything to go by. Maybe we'll see a uh, a Minecraft soundtrack from the more recent updates. I always forget to turn on the music in game and it's not because I, you know, I don't do the same sort of thing that you do where you have edited videos and having music, having weird harsh cuts when you're trying to edit things together would be such a pain. Um, so playing with the music off would make sense there. But for me, where I stream almost exclusively, uh, it would, I could have the Minecraft music on in game. I have just found that, um, and again, I'll, I'll say this, that I haven't been doing it recently with the new tracks so much. Um, maybe when they launch, but then I quickly turn it off. Uh, I I was wondering, you know, like if it's repeated as often as it used to be, because I used to find that you'd be doing a lot of work in like a planes biome and you'd hear the same three tracks, at least so it would seem like over and over and over again. And yeah. that's, that's why a lot of the times why I turn the music off. But if you have like, you know, um, if you've purchased the iTunes album or if you've got access to Spotify or whatever, and you're playing the in-game music um, from like the, volume alpha volume beta does that get clipped on like copyright stuff or do no. you have to only play the stuff that's in minecraft like the actual game i've streamed for years now with the minecraft okay. soundtrack playing in the background i don't do it as often these days because i wanted some more variety um yeah. but but i've i've always like in the past played with the minecraft soundtrack playing and never got a copyright ding for for any of it i i assume because it's part of the game and so the licensing is taken care of there and minecraft allows you to make content from the games so right. it, it's sort of you know part and parcel of that really but yeah i think all of that is fine i think there was one issue with pigstep the music disc a while back because somebody else sampled it uploaded that to the copyright system and that was what was dinging stuff lena rain published a statement saying like this isn't really anything to do with me uh i didn't want the music to be you know, get, getting people copyright strikes. It's just that somebody else ended up sampling it and their work yeah. was 
part of that system um, which i think has been resolved now but uh you you won't get that for playing other side or any of the other music discs it's something that i struggle with because i do have a number of resources that are copyright free music but then i get these false positives where you know it's fine on twitch but then when i upload the vod to youtube youtube is like this is gonna copyright song in it i'm just like no it doesn't like one everything that i listen to and it's only on the six minute breaks like when i walk away from the keyboard i have a little bit of music playing for people uh, just so that when you come into the stream, people aren't, aren't wondering like, because if, if someone shows up during the break, I don't want them to think like, is it working? Like what's yeah. going on? You mm-hmm. want to have something happening in audio. So music is playing and you want to have a timer going on the screen. So people know, okay, well, my stream is working. Joel is just not here at the moment. Um, but, uh, the, the thing with that is, is that very often I've found specifically with my Lego streams where I have music playing the entire time, uh, similar to a satisfactory. I also have like a cool kind of like eight bit kind of fun music playing in the background any kind of technical stuff sounds really fun with those two ga- uh, those two kinds of streams but i i will often find that a copyright flag on say something like twitch will say oh this is the song that's playing during this six minute segment and it's not it's like i went i'll go through my entire playlist and be like that song doesn't exist in my playlist yeah, yeah. so it's like you said it's either the song in my playlist is sampling something that is is copywritten or the reverse. Someone has sampled this copy free music, copyright free music, and is using that and has then uploaded that to some sort of system. And either Twitch's library or YouTube's library of copyright information is just out of date. Uh, and and it, I mean, it causes a bit of a pain. It's a little easier to handle on YouTube. YouTube will just, you can just say mute it and they'll just mute it. And, and I don't mind on the Minecraft videos because I'm muting a six minute break where people are probably skipping through it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. If, absolutely. if they're even watching my full three hour VOD, you know what I mean? So, so I'm not worried about it there. It's more like when Twitch mutes it and mutes like two minutes, either side of the break for a total of like 10 minutes of no audio. And when I go to a break or when I come back from a break, I'm usually explaining what I'm doing next. And so that's just cut off, you know, and it's just, you know, trying to find the copyright free stuff is, is interesting. So I don't know. Have you ever tried Minecraft Dungeons music? I mean, I imagine it would be the same thing because that would be played in the game. If you're if you're streaming Dungeons, you shouldn't get any copyright things on that. But have you tried streaming Minecraft Dungeons music while you're playing Minecraft? I have not. No, I, I think the only place I could listen to it right now would be Spotify. And I don't oh, tend to use Spotify yes. as my, my music player on streams. Yeah. But um, yeah, like aside from that, there's... I don't think there's any problem with it. Video game soundtracks typically are okay with you playing them unless they contain, you know, music by pop artists or whatever, you know? Right. Like, I think recently people got dinged for listening to the closing credits song from the newest Pokemon game because it was an Ed Sheeran song. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah, like, Minecraft doesn't do that, thankfully. And so, yeah, I think a lot of video game soundtracks are kind of similar where because people are going to be streaming the game or at least... You know, if if they've got a system to display on screen what the music is they're listening to, then the soundtrack of the game gets promoted, even if they're playing a different game. Mostly, people are okay with it. Um, but yeah, there's there's always going to be one or two exceptions. Minecraft soundtracks, as far as I can tell, are pretty much the same. Which brings me to thinking about what the Minecraft Legends soundtrack is going to be like, and that's something we hadn't really considered about what we've oh, yeah. seen of the gameplay and everything. Like, I'm really curious to see what kind of music they have in that game, and if it's got the same kind of like melodic thematic approach to it uh, or if it's going to be like like minecraft dungeons does or if it's going to be a bit more kind of ambient and free and open the way the original minecraft soundtrack is i wonder if they'll go the the way of some video games where you have like 
music battle music that engages you know like when you end yeah. up in a like it, to to increase the excitement you know like it's a higher beats per minute sort of section of of music that will happen like, in some well, the instrumentation games. like scales dynamically is what they yeah. tend to do a lot of the time so like mm -hmm. once you start into battle the music won't necessarily change but then like the horn tracks will come in and so suddenly there's a bah -bah happening in the background and kind of like the the drums get louder and that that sort of thing that's yeah, what what they tend to do in in more modern games these days. I haven't noticed any of the Legends trailers if they're if I've even taken note of the music or or if I've just gone like, "Oh, they're playing music from Minecraft." You know, like obviously not the music that's going to be in a game, but they've just used some existing music that's familiar to people that are fans and are just using that as a as a as a background track or it's something where uh if I've noticed it, it's been like, "Oh, this is obviously just like B track like it's just meant to be background while they're interviewing devs and it's it doesn't seem like it's part of the game because it's not responding with the gameplay footage or something mm -hmm. um, but we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on that I, I i don't think we've had any announcements about the music from from legend uh kokoradaki in our live chat says there is one song out already from the legend soundtrack and was apparently oh. released shortly after the game was announced and is composed by the same people that did the mirrorverse soundtrack well that's exciting and speaking of kokoradaki you are the correspondent this week for chunk mail so let's move on to chunk mail we might as well uh if folks if you'd like to email the show the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com would love to hear you in the new year let us know what you're doing in minecraft and if you have any strange interesting questions or or topics that you wanted to share with us it'd be lovely to uh to, to hear from you uh kokoridaki is a landscape artist member of our discord and sends this email with the subject of a chiseled bookshelf redstone idea hi pix and joel I had an idea for what I think would make more interesting redstone interaction for the chiseled bookshelf. I do think the redstone output reading which slot was last interacted with is an interesting prospect, but now that we can interact with specific slots within the chiseled bookshelf, I was wondering what if the redstone output was based specifically on which slots had books in them. For example, the first slot gives one redstone power, the second gives two, and so on until the sixth slot gives six power, so if I have books in the second, third, and fifth slots, then a comparator would read 2 plus 3 plus 5 to give a total of 10 redstone power. Of course, this can lead to multiple combinations of filled slots, eventually hitting the limit of 15 redstone power. I think this leads to more interesting options for what can be done with the block for redstone purposes, like combination locks with a single block to interact with. Kokoridaki died from math. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a missed opportunity to say that Kokoridaki was subtracted from the world by mouth. <laughs> that's, that's a good one. Split, I like that. Splitting hairs. Splitting hairs. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, 2023, I'm on it today. Uh, I'm still not super keen on the whole redstone signal being based on the last slot interacted with, but I can see its uses. However, the idea that you've outlined, I think all six slots filled, pardon my quick math, is 21. And I think that would be confusing as well. Mm -hmm. uh because i i think that it just because it doesn't equal the full redstone power of of 15 right um so i mean what would be a good good alternative like you could say like each slot could increase the redstone output by a steady number of one or two volumetrically but that feels similar to how chests and containers work now but again it would be different because it's not based on percentage volume it would be based on a specific value per slot, right? Which is not the case with a chest. Like the chest, you have to fill it. It's not each slot that has an item in it. It's how many items, how full the chest is 
percentage wise will give you a comparator output as per that signal so it's yeah. a lot more complicated to do you can like having six slots is a lot easier to do that math in your head than it is a chest with 27 slots mm -hmm. all of which containing up to 64 items right um and then different values for the smaller stacks of 16 so um i i can see the the desire from the community to have something different than what mojang has already kind of put out in the snapshots for the chisel bookshelf but I don't know what the solution is because everything that I, I see suggested as cool as and, a, and as interesting and as, as, as an idea, this is Kokorodaki. I still feel like it leads to either misleading information or confu potential confusion for players that want it to work in a very obvious way without an instruction book. You know, like, so when you interact with that last slot and you see the redstone output, like that's your cue that i mean aside from youtube videos outside of the game but like if you're just in the game and exploring this for the first time figuring it out then that's your cue if i put something in slot six and i take it out of slot six then i get a redstone output of of six or or whatever it is i mean you, you know it because you used it for your um your uh copper aging machine right and that's what i want to do with it yeah like i, I yeah. haven't had a chance to Sorry. yet but yeah no yeah. Th that that was the example that i gave and yeah i think I think the 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 other side of it is making sure that any new additions like this don't just duplicate something that we can do already, which is why the capacity thing isn't the greatest idea. And I I just think the last interacted with signal is such a unique thing to this kind of bookshelf. I can imagine them doing something in future where they have an additive block that, you know, allows you to do something like that, but that's effectively just you know it's it's something that you can do with multiple chiseled bookshelves right like yes you have to read the signal off of multiple blocks but it's still possible to do what you're suggesting you just have to scale up the idea a little bit whereas having the ability to just interact with one chiseled bookshelf and it feels intuitive and it feels like a unique behavior compared to other capacity measurements or other interactions that you have with other blocks like eating a slice of cake for example like reducing that by two it's one of the only ones that we can do that with that isn't linear like you don't have to kind of go round the horn being like you know adding one two three four five six over and over again you can go straight from six to one by interacting with those slots and that feels like something that you can't do too easily with other redstone components right now so i think if anything it's it's adding more depth than you think it is by allowing us to to just have one through six so that there's there's potential there for for a little bit more usage and yeah like like i, I think it's it's great that the community is still coming up with these ideas because that highlights areas that mojang can fill later if they want to have other redstone interactions for new blocks, but they're unsure of how to do it, then they can look back at suggestions like this and think, oh yeah, somebody wanted something that would work additively to produce different signals from the same block with redstone. Let's see if we can workshop an idea around that. Let's, you know, whatever chisel bookshelf Mark II happens to be could have that functionality later, as long as it feels intuitive, as long as it kind of makes sense for them. I agree. I, and I don't at all want to sound like I was shooting down the idea because it's constructive <laughs> yeah, yeah. criticism, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's all the kind of thing that's like, it's an interesting idea. I, you know, when I look at it as how Mojang has implemented the Chisel Bookshelf so far, it, for me, it just feels unlikely that they would go this way, but not that it would be a, a bad redstone idea for something else. 
you yeah. know, if because again, if you introduce a new block that's different from a chisel bookshelf and different from the other containers in the world, like maybe I don't know. I mean, I guess a minecart chest is a is a wrong thing to say, but let let's just say that they revamp minecart and rails like all together like a total revamp and minecart chests because some become something else uh and they have slots like this um like that could be something where you know the redstone output could be could be different or um instead of a chest in a minecart like what if you could actually put like items in a minecart you know like just an empty minecart that you or an animal could sit in you could just put material in that and and if that was a thing that needed a redstone output something like this could be interesting because like does does the minecart have slots does or is it does it have layers like a composter sort of deal like there's all kinds of different things that you could potentially do there for different kinds of redstone output again changing the comparator you know um, output depending on how full it is that kind of thing i think um, what you're pitching here joel is chiseled bookshelf in a minecart and I, i've got to say i'm on board oh, there you go yeah. <laughs> traveling library <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be super fun obviously like the 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 amount of things that need to be added to minecarts fairly slim i think at this point <laughs> but like there's there's already like uh-huh. there were once like i forget every so often that like in creative mode you can have a minecart with a spawner in it so you could have a spawner like traveling around almost following the player on rails and like i i forget that those exist sometimes because well they are there and like command blocks in minecarts same thing they become entities that you can stack in one place so you can stack the effects of them if you need to but there's just no use for them in survival so it feels really bizarre that there are these extra minecarts that i don't really think about anymore Slight aside, we had a, a thing as a kid called a bookmobile, and it was a it was a traveling library. It was yeah, essentially yeah. like an old old milk truck and or ice cream truck, or like a food truck, and instead of food, it had books in it. And so it was all children's books, like you know grades one through six sort of deal. Yeah. Um, but it would pull up outside the school, uh, I think once a week, and so you could go and you could borrow a book, and then you had to bring it back to the to the bookmobile. Um, that was what it was called. Uh, the following week, you know. Uh, just like a library and they would have like different books because like the i think it would be more like the public library because around here school libraries it would take forever to get a book into the school library because they have to be approved by the curriculum and like all that kind of stuff and with the Whereas mobile the, library they can just drive off and get it <laughs> yeah they, well they can bring in more modern books like stuff yes. that's more current yeah, yeah. you know like so i imagine like for example things like you know the harry potter books when they first came out because that was that was well after i was out of school but if you were a, a nine or ten year old during that time and they weren't in your school library, you might be able to get them from your public library. Or if you couldn't get to your public library, you're always going to be in school. So they would bring the public library to the school, which I always thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we had similar stuff in the UK at various points. But uh, yeah, that's it. I, I like the idea of there being something in future that has this redstone functionality. But I think they've been building chiseled bookshelves towards this idea of you interact with it and that's the slot that changes the redstone signal. And I think for them to pivot from that now into additive stuff, I feel like would overcomplicate things, especially when we're just getting used to them and when Mojang has other features to develop, hopefully, as we move forward. And that's one of the things we wanted to talk about for today's show. We did a look back at 2022 Minecraft uh, in one of our recent shows, and now we want to talk about what we're planning for 2023, and also, now that 2023 is here, what we are looking forward to from Minecraft in particular. And I mean, the obvious stuff is is going to be centered, I think, around 1.20, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the, the new update and what's coming. But I, I've found uh, that I'm very curious 
to see how the future of these minor and major Minecraft releases will pan out, um, both for or from our perspective as podcasters and looking at it as a news coverage thing for us, but also how it's going to be received by players. And I'm wondering if some of the confusion that we noticed in the fall will be addressed and if they'll change slightly, if there'll be a big change in how they're going to be delivering the features of the minor and major updates. Um, if they space them out more, I'm not, I'm not really sure. I'm just curious about it. Uh, it's all good. I think, I think it's good for players, no matter how they proceed, it's better than it was before. And so I'm looking forward to it, but I'm curious just as, as I've gotten to learn a little bit more about Mojang and how they operate and how there was a big focus in, in Minecraft live this fall past about, um, their communication and expectations that they're putting out there. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be an interesting thing to, to look at. And it also makes me wonder if there's going to be something between 1.19.3 and 1.20. I guess that all kind of depends on when 1.20 is actually coming, whether they're going to be putting out any minor bug fixes and stuff like that. I don't think there, I don't think we're going to see any features, but it would be curious to see if we get like a 0.4 or a 0.5 that just addresses some of the bugs that we've been seeing now that Mojang has given themselves the okay to not have to attach bug fixes to major releases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's going to be an interesting thing. It, it depends whether it was something that previously they would have been like, well, we really want to fix this one glaring issue, but we have to wait for the next major update to really push that out, <laughs> compared to something like 1.19.3 bringing in the creative mode inventory changes. And like stuff like that can just happen now, and if anything, players have time to get used to it before the extra blocks kind of get shoved in there and people wonder where the heck they are because the entire inventory has changed around. Like, I think there's there's going to be some some fun figuring out there. And it comes down to both Mojang communicating it a certain way and players just getting used to this new format because for a while we've just been looking forward to tentpole releases for all of these minor updates as well and everything in the dot releases just being issues arising from the latest temple release um so yeah hopefully we'll we'll i i think i'm just looking forward to learning more about what they have planned maybe sometime soon in the new year we might get more of a a cohesive idea of what 1.20 is going to look like maybe a theme announcement maybe a a name announcement we don't know where we're headed the, the one feature that we know that hasn't made it into the snapshots yet but is definitely going to be in 1.20 is the sniffer because we voted for that so i am kind of curious to see when that emerges and what else emerges around it because i presume they've had enough features in the works already that they're not going to tailor those to something that fits with the sniffer as an addition because they haven't done that in previous updates like 1.19 didn't have anything extra in it that was prompted by players voting for the LA. The LA was just sort of added in. But I, yeah, because we don't know anything about 1.20 yet, it will sort of arrive along with our first look at the sniffer in game two. And something that was very interesting about the LA, I'm glad that you brought that up, is because it, it changed quite a bit in its behavior from its initial implementation in the snapshot so it will be really cool to see the sniffer a mob voted in by the player base come into the snapshots and see how it changes if it changes like maybe they get really close to to what players want right out the gate mm -hmm. maybe people are like oh it looks cool but woof this is not what i wanted to interact with like who knows right so it's i i always find this part of our job so interesting like being able to have access to the snapshots and see stuff like this develop 
and have the time to talk about it and parse it over a week. You know, it's similar to uh, discussions I've had with my friend Alistair about like when Netflix releases a whole series of stuff all at once or when Amazon is putting things out once a week. And, and I feel like it's way more fun to have things come out once a week and, and, and have the time to like think about it and maybe even rewatch an episode and, and kind of get into it that way. And I find that the same with the snapshots is that, you know, the snapshot will come out on like a Wednesday usually, and then you and I will have some time with it. The community will have some time with it. We'll probably have some emails about it. And that gives us like a, a time to process it before we do a show and then see if anything changes the following week. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what they what they do with the sniffer. Um, I'm also curious as to when they're going to announce, uh, as you said, like the title, but also the um, potential release date. Like, I, I wonder, I wonder if that's going to change as well with all the focus on the communication strategy that they had at Minecraft Live. I'm wondering if we're not going to see a release date until we're much closer to the release date. You know what I mean? Yeah, that that typically ends up being the case anyway because they don't want to promise something and then go nah. But mm. previously, it's been quite clear that they've targeted like school holidays as release windows. So which makes you know, sense. Yeah, they 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 want to put an update out right before the kids break for summer, and the same for winter holidays in the past. And that's not been the case this time around because we've missed the winter holiday at this point. So. Are we waiting until summer for 1.20? Is that going to come out kind of mid-spring? Like, we don't know for certain at this stage. So, yeah, lots to look forward to there. And going back to your analogy about it being like an entire series drops versus, you know, one episode drops of a TV show, Minecraft Legends is the thing that drops all in one go this year because it's currently slated to arrive in some form spring 2023. Um, which could be as little as two months away, but realistically, I'd like to assume it's more like six, uh, closer to summer holidays. Again, that that kind of targeted release window. Although there's a possibility we get a public beta before that point so that we can have some input into playtesting. It's a, a kind of tried and tested strategy with Mojang at this point, so it's not something I think they'd be opposed to, but obviously they're working with a development partner on Minecraft Legends, so there's some other folks really kind of getting their hands dirty with the, the main programming of it. So I'm, I'm curious to see when Minecraft Legends becomes playable and when it arrives, how into it the community gets and what Mojang learns from the experience of creating a third title that's like a proper Minecraft spin-off and uh, really figuring out what the, what, what the player base enjoys about that and whether they, they take any of that back into vanilla Minecraft or if they decide that Minecraft Legends is worth pursuing even further. I presume they'll end up with DLC in a similar way that they have done with Minecraft Dungeons, and it'll it'll be a, a new a new era of Mojang figuring out what they're doing with Minecraft in general. I don't want to be all doom and gloom because I am curious about Minecraft Legends. It's, I mean, I'm definitely going to give it a go. Uh, I'm wondering if it's going to have more staying power than Minecraft Dungeons. And I'm not saying that Minecraft Dungeons is dead or anything like that, but I don't hear it a lot from the community. I don't hear a lot of people talking about Minecraft Dungeons anymore. Uh, and I mean, part of it is that they've not had a really big expansion. They've had events, but the last big expansion was what, the end, I think? Yeah. And, yeah. and since then, yeah, they've had the the seasonal kind of rollout battle mm -hmm. pass kind of thing. The, the rolling content thing, instead of it being story DLC and a narrative for players to follow, that kind of thing. Yeah, so I wonder if there's going to be some more Minecraft Dungeons, you know, later on in, in 2023. Because, you know, you've got the timing of these releases, right? You've got the Minecraft Legends is supposed to be coming out in the spring. Uh, Minecraft 1.20, who knows? 
and then potentially anything that's coming out with Minecraft Dungeons. And they wouldn't want them all to happen at once, right? They want to space them out. So if we see anything from Minecraft Dungeons, I would imagine it would be much later in the year. Uh, and I'm wondering, because of like just the the nature of Minecraft Dungeons being like, well, it's cool and it's Minecraft, but it didn't. I don't think it really pulled a lot of the player base from Minecraft over to Dungeons long term you know like yeah. it's kind of like a short aside and i and i don't know if it was meant to do that either i'm not saying that that was the mission uh and i still enjoy it i just played it a couple months ago i had a friend over that i'd never played it and we just kind of sat in the couch and, and played the first couple levels and they loved it they thought it was really fun very accessible right and that's something something i like about it is that if you've got friends that are not into minecraft but they do like video games you can kind of share your passion and if they just like video games in general then it's a great kind of like in between for everybody right yeah um but but I, I'm just curious because uh, with all the resources that are going into it, my my only, I shouldn't say my only, one of the concerns that I have is that because they're a mobile developer, I'm blanking on the developer right now, but they, I, I didn't particularly like Minecraft Earth. And so I, I'm wondering if the mobile aspect is going to kind of pull into it a little bit. I, I wonder if it's going to feel like a mobile game, even though it is not intended to be. So I'm, we'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, I th I think the thing that's going to give Minecraft Legends longevity is PvP, um, because right. I, I, I look at, say, Pokemon, for example. I've been playing Pokemon Scarlet. I've completed basically all of the story objectives. I've completed the full roster of Pokemon. I have all 400 that are in this game. And what remains at that point is a couple of things. It's either, you know, go around hunting for, like, rare, shiny variants of Pokemon that have, like, an alternate color palette to their usual, or it's battle. It's, like, get competitive. It's dip into that whole scene. And that's the kind of stuff that doesn't really go into my playstyle. I, I don't really like the, the competitive battling side of Pokemon so much. Um, so I only have, like, one or two activities I can really continue to do in that game. I think the same goes for Minecraft Legends, really. It's never going to have the depth of Minecraft because Minecraft has base building, redstone, exploration, all of the kind of core pillars of vanilla Minecraft, and Legends is going to be much more about interacting with other factions than it is about interacting with the world itself. We know that you can still build up fortifications and you can gather resources, but I don't think anyone's going to have Minecraft Legends as their main base building game. And so there's limited options for personalization and there's going to be limited lifespan for it as a result. The main thing is going to be whether or not people stay competitive and people want to play it long term for a PvP angle the way they do with games like StarCraft and Warcraft and other kind of, um, you know, competitive style things. Eventually it might even end up with, you know, some sort of modded scene even in the same way that like Dota came out of being a Warcraft 3 mod and so potentially if players are interested in expanding this and it's possible for them to expand this then that's something that would you know enhance its lifespan in the same way that modded has for minecraft in general but i'm not sure if it's the kind of project that will really adapt well to that so we'll have to see blackbird interactive is the name of the developer that right Jay yes partnered yeah. with i just i wanted to throw that in there like i knew it it was on the tip of my tongue i just watched a, <laughs> like a xbox video on youtube this morning and they mentioned both blackbird and minecraft legends i was like i mm -hmm. should know this <laughs> yeah yeah so um that's that's sort of it for what we can expect from mojang this year but obviously we've got some of our own plans uh you're continuing finishing up west hill and you've definitely got other stuff going on around the Citadel. So what's uh, what's on the roster for you? 
So yeah, I, I really want to, and I sooner rather than later, I want to finish up West Hill. And I'm pretty close. I feel like there's the, the couple things that are left, unfortunately, on the checklist are big. It's, you know, all the planned buildings are pretty much complete. Like I've mentioned uh, earlier in the show today, I've got a couple of like frames that I have to fill in and fill out and finish. But other than that, like I don't have any new buildings to erect. Uh, I, I do have the keep to, to update. It's one of those things that unfortunately I've taken so long to build this project. I feel like I'm much better at what I'm doing now than I was two years ago. Mm -hmm, and so yep. when I look at something like the keep that was built very early on, because you wanted that centerpiece, you wanted to know where it was, right? When I look at that now, I go like, that looks terrible. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I need I need to update it. I, we've also had a ton of new blocks in the last couple of years. Like I can do a really large gradient now between Deep Slate and other blocks, uh, tough and whatnot to, for something of that scale. So I want to try and take advantage of that. Um, but really... The next large task will be like the landscape pass inside, outside, finishing up roads, riverbanks, foliage, like adding in some trees, not necessarily custom trees, but like having some trees line the road so it doesn't look like it was completely clear cut for miles. Uh, I've got to bring some farms up closer to the to the town. And right now, the outside wall of the town kind of looks like it's kind of plunked on there. I've done a little bit of a test to try to try put some gravel and rubble and stuff at the bottom, uh, a little bit of a gradient, but I've not done it for the entire, you know, curtain wall around the whole town. So that has to happen. So there's a lot of tasks like that that are just going to be good streaming stuff because it's just a matter of like turning on the stream and just starting at one end of the town. It's like, all right, we are roughing up the wall or we're planting trees or we're doing some decorating today. We're just going to go to it. Um, the next thing after that is going to be like what I call a life clutter pass. Mm -hmm. So things like you know, carts on the road that are got a couple of barrels on them or, you know, a hay wagon on the side of the road. Like you were mentioning earlier about shulker boxes. Like maybe I do actually use some shulker boxes and put like a, a cart on the side of the road somewhere, a little fruit stands, like things like that. There are definitely some parts of the town that are feeling kind of bleak uh, and the roads are kind of bare. The roads also still have a lot of the constructions lines on them. Like I used smooth stone to like either mark out the the um the, the tiers as you go up a curve or around a, a bend or down some stairs or whatever and i need to remove those and kind of put on in just like regular road texture throw in some you know some cracked bricks and stuff like that to try to make it look like they've been they've been worn down so i've got that kind of stuff left to do and then the last one which is probably going to take the longest is the detail pass things like older versions of the tables and chairs data pack that broke that aren't working i have to go replace those um, popping into all the different builds one at a time and just making sure that yes i have an interior no i didn't forget this one room or this one build um, in particular i think some of the buildings near the gates are empty and i need to just kind of make sure that those things are, are filled in and kind of walk around and make sure i've got everything in in order um, and maybe depending on when i'm done with it uh i will either have to return to West Hill or I will luck out and at the right time I'll have access to hanging signs because I really feel like that would go <laughs> a long way to, yeah. help, to help my my little medieval fantasy build. And um, I'm not impatient uh, about about that at all. Nope. Nope. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that those are the things that I'm looking forward, forward to doing in, in West Hill. And I have to say, I'm looking forward to moving on. I, I'm not burnt out on the project, but it's one of those things that while it's an accomplishment, it's not really an accomplishment until you're done. Like you really yeah. want to, I'm, I'm so close to the finish line now that I just, I'm excited to check the box. I was hanging out with my niece in the backseat of the car when we went down to the Valley for a family dinner and they're really into Minecraft. And, uh, I was showing some, some pictures and her like 
bewilderment at the scale and mm -hmm. how much I had done really kind of reignited my excitement for the project, but also kind of like that pat on the back of like, this is big. And, and yeah. it's going to be really cool to say this is done to take some really cool, like learn how to use, uh, what's that video uh, camera app that you use, the camera plugin um, for making uh, videos. Like replay mode? Replay mod. Yeah. So like learning to use replay mod and doing some sweeping vistas and like having some stuff and edited video that I can share on social media and say like, look, this is what I've been doing. It's finally finished. I don't have to fly through and then avoid a certain area because there's shulker boxes everywhere and stuff like that. Yeah. So that, yeah. that's going to be fun to, right. to finish up. Right now you're in that period where like, you know how your grandma hasn't seen you for a few years and is like, wow, you've gotten taller kind of thing. Like when you're, yes. when you're younger, it's like that, like you've, you've been growing this project a little bit each day, a few blocks at a time or like, you know, on weekends and stuff. So you can't see the scale of it anymore. Uh, and then to an outside observer, it's gone from nothing to entire medieval city is right there. So naturally, yeah, to your niece or whoever else looking in, it's going to feel like a lot more has been accomplished than you've been like, well, I just built this one house mo more recently and, you know, now I'm just tidying stuff. It it doesn't really hit you the scale of that. I think it's going to be interesting for you if you're obviously staying in the Citadel long term, coming back to West Hill six months after you're done with it and being like, oh yeah, wow, this was a thing I did. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's going to be a, a fun thing to have in the world long term as a, a reminder to yourself of what you can do at scale. Thanks. Yeah, I think, and lessons learned, I might not quite build something so big, or at least not something that has like a, uh, such a large sketch to it. Like if I do something big like this in the future, I think I will start it off in a way that at any point that I want to walk away from it, it feels and looks finished. Mm -hmm. You know, like, so for example, yeah. I've, I've teased a little bit on the show that I've got the inkling to do like a sci-fi build. Well, I'm not going to just go in and mark off another huge area and say, this is now my sci-fi city. And forever uh, in the future, it is only going to be 10% done or 15% done or whatever. It would be cool to be able to just start doing buildings as if they stand alone. And that way, if you walk away from three buildings, it just looks like a cool sci-fi build. It doesn't look like a city because it wasn't necessarily designed to be one at every stage. Uh, and, I, and I think that that's one of the lessons I've learned is like, I want to feel like things are more finished so that I can, I can walk away from it and do other things. Cause we've got a few things on the server that are missing. Like we've got a lot of new blocks that have been implemented. Uh, we don't have a frog light farm. I think a server member is working on it now, but I'd like to make one my own for my own content. Shulker boxes. I'd like to do a shulker box farm, auto sheep farm. We, 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 it's been six years or more on the Citadel. We still have like traditional, like sheeps in pens that you walk up and shear if you want more colored wool. So, and I've done, I've built an auto sheep farm on modded before, but I want to try and do something more permanent. And I think one of the things I want to do and use this sci-fi area for is some of the personal farms that I want for myself on the server that are just weird shapes. And it's hard to kind of like put them in anything cool unless it's more of a sci-fi look. So I'm going to try, try that. Um, and I'm going to want access to those blocks, all the smoother things like concrete and frog lights and sea lanterns. And I want to make sure I, I have access to those before I get into either returning to like the modern city of Southport for a little bit or this sci-fi future build that I want to do. I just want to make sure that I have the resources so I don't get excited about something and then have to put the brakes on and then go make like a shulker farm or like something that I, I know I'm going to need uh, down the line. So I'm I'm excited to have some small projects between Westell and whatever I do next, but I want to have a plan. Like I don't want the farming projects and the technical projects that I do in between to just be willy nilly. Like I kind of want them to be aimed at 
what I want to do next. Sure. Yeah, you're building towards something. And I, that's the approach I tend to take in Survival Guide. Like, if I build a farm for something, it's because I'm planning on using it in a build in the next episode, or right. I just want to have some of that stuff around because I know it's going to come up in future. It's a smart way to play. And yeah, like, leads towards you taking on larger projects, and the smaller stuff can be in service of those projects very neatly. So what are you building towards in 2023? Hopefully more multiplayer, I think. Um, since Season 2 of Empires started, I've really been enjoying the social side of playing Minecraft together. Um, I have another project coming up in January that's going to be a multiplayer thing with a whole group of different people, so I'm kind of excited for that. It's probably going to be a short-term thing, um, but excited to see what that holds. And then Empires is going to continue for a little while yet, even though the Hermitcraft collab is probably going to be the peak of this season. We're still not done. We still want to explore a lot more of the storytelling stuff, and I am nowhere near done with my base. So I'm planning on doing a lot more of that, and it's just going to be fun easing back into that at this point. Um, from a technical side of things, I talked already about refining my copper aging machine ideas and i've already maxed out the available radius for random ticks talked about stacking stuff vertically i've seen a couple of people suggesting ideas for automatic loading and collection that i think is going to be a really interesting thing to try out and how successful it is we will see but um the other thought i had was that because you can set the droppers to only count to three stages of aging instead of all four um i could potentially have them collected sooner but then automatically waxed so that you're not waiting for all of the remaining copper to age to a certain point and then you end up with one or two that age fully by the time they return if they get spat out by the machine and automatically waxed using a dispenser and some honeycomb then you have the potential to have a couple of trays of these things which are uh, exposed copper and weathered copper before you get to the fully oxidized kind so i i want to experiment with a bit of stuff like that and it's going to mean more iteration on the same copper aging thing but i i like it enough and it's got enough of a personality of its own at this stage that i am i'm more than willing to put the time into that so we will we will see um outside of that though i think i have more general goals this year um because survival guide is going to continue again but survival guide is really just the kind of the week-to-week -week rolling gameplay of like i want to play minecraft and it's not got any kind of thematic goals in mind there it's just sort of whatever i want to do so it's difficult to project what the future of that is obviously the future of it at this point is dictated by when 1.20 comes out so i i we will we'll have to see that's probably where i'm going to be building the copper aging machine once it reaches its quote-unquote final uh form <laughs> it's like final v2 slash final definitely final this time dot jpeg um <laughs> but yeah i um i i want to i want to explore a few new build styles and the outside influence of other games going back to what i was saying about dwarf fortress really being an inspiration for minecraft i, I don't want to shy away from playing other games for inspiration um which is something i've done in the past simply because i think i should be spending all of my time in minecraft if i'm going to be making minecraft content and i think stepping away from that playing elden ring so that i could do some more stuff related to that build style in empires and playing bits and pieces of pokemon and figuring out what i like and don't like about those environments and now talking about using dwarf fortress as a, a mapping tool for underground colonies i think it's a really interesting way of looking at game design um i, I want to bring 
like a, a closer study of both architecture and video game environment design to my builds in this forthcoming year and i wanted to um quickly not plug necessarily but but shout out a book that i found through a twitter thread um which is virtual cities by konstantinos demopolis and he posted this as the end of like a long thread of other books about city design um and whether that's from an architectural standpoint or there's one that's called something like the burglar's guide to a city which is really about like the vulnerabilities in the spaces that we build and you know places that burglars tend to look at as entry points to houses that you don't necessarily think of like oh yeah that's that's an easy window to get into or whatever you just think of it as a window that the sun comes in and i look out of um but uh constantinos demopolis has a book called virtual cities um which i've got in front of me and it's effectively a a kind of case study in a lot of different cities from video games and like floor plans and you know, aspects of the way they're designed and kind of just like study of some of them and just looking through the contents list it's got um it's got orgrimmar from world of warcraft in there it's got the cool. the city from dishonored and uh Yarnum from bloodborne is in there there's yeah a couple of the other dark souls games and there's like that's like a in the fantasy cities category but then it's got more familiar feeling cities like the town of silent hill from those games and like um the district of tokyo that the yakuza games are set in and then it looks at future cities so it looks like the new york city from deus ex where obviously it's like a a future projection of that and the citadel from the mass effect trilogy is listed in here and there's there's so many things that like a lot of these i'm less familiar with because i haven't played a huge amount of games from this breadth of video game history but there are some that i'm like yes i'm so happy that this is included because i really want to hear more about how this was designed or what you can learn from it looking out at it from the outside as a designer um so i'm i'm gonna browse this a whole bunch and try and turn myself back to the architecture study books that i picked up in the past and try and learn a little bit more of the theory of what i'm doing before i put it into practice so i think a more careful and considered approach to that instead of just running in and hoping that i'll wing it because what i've been able to do when i've had the time to plan for stuff like empires importing schematics from lightmatica and planning builds beforehand i think that stuff has really helped me in 2022 figure out what i want to be building moving forward so i'm hoping to build on that in 2023 and hopefully come away a better builder at the end of it that's awesome and because you've got a couple of architecture books i think lying yeah so, some big ones some that get very pretentious and theoretical and a couple that are a little bit more kind of down to earth and focused on specific areas i've got a couple that are about the uk and um the rem Coolhouse architecture like tome that i have that splits things up into this is what a floor is and like covers so many interesting examples and talks about like the psychology of some of the way that stuff is built that's all really interesting to me but digesting that and turning it into something that makes sense in minecraft is a challenge like it's a long-term goal i think that one and i really need to dive into it when i can but take it piece by piece to really feel like i can bring any of it to bear in what i'm building in minecraft but i think 
that is all we have time for on this episode of the spawn chunks for a slow news week we have talked a whole bunch and i hope you folks enjoyed it happy new year once again you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com the music for the show was composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud as ever to be a listener supported podcast going into our nth year of patron support at this point if you're getting some value out of the show why not consider putting some value back in you can visit patreon.com slash the spawn chunks to join our community where pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons only discord chat you can listen to the show when it's recorded live in discord every monday and you also get our monthly minecraft audio hangout and the quarterly hangouts that we talked about at the top of the show those are also recorded to a patrons only rss feed which you can listen to past hangouts on if you want to and follow along with the discord conversation we're currently at 318 patrons which is down a bunch from last week thanks to the usual uh new year patreon reshuffle uh but we'd love to get some more people involved and end 2023 with a massive community of minecraft players our special thanks as always go out to our content engineers supporting us here into 2023 hunter 555 jumbo sale and yitz thank you so much for your support on this episode sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show it's free just tell a friend about the podcast and where they can go to listen to it it is on every podcast platform that you can imagine as well as youtube you can also find us on twitter and instagram at the spawn chunks be sure to leave us a rating and review on those platforms as well uh, not so much twitter and instagram but but the the podcast platforms that really helps raise the discoverability of the show when you're dealing with 700,000 podcasts out there getting a review in and a rating in on the spun chunks really really does help us out you can email the show at spunchunkmail at gmail.com just a heads up the email coffers are a little bit low so if you want to get on the show a current and to the point email is uh, going to be a, a really good chance in the next little while the rss feed is linked on the spunchunks.com and the patron only rss feed is on the patreon page that's where you can listen to the render distance of the extended version of the podcast my name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where right now I'm focusing on Empire's SMP, but expect a few other things to pop up real soon. I stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series, and I might spend 2023 playing more games occasionally. Stuff like Dwarf Fortress will be popping up here and there. Uh, I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which is much less weird now we're no longer on the Hermitcraft server. You can find that through a quick YouTube search. And aside from that, I'm at Pixorifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Links to everything that I am doing can be found at joelduggan.com. That includes links to the Citadel Cafe, my podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. The episode out right now is the Holiday Roundtable, where Lou was back, along with Alistair and Stephen, uh, and Ryan even made an appearance. It's kind of an Easter egg. You'll have to stay tuned. Uh, that was a lot of fun to hang out with those folks before the holidays. You can follow me on social media at Joel Duggan, and of course, Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream at least three days a week. Fridays are Lego, and Saturday, Sundays currently our Minecraft, but I'm looking forward to adding more regular days during the week. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite. Mine on, you crazy diamonds. <laughs> <laughs>